attention there as I read the text, and then we'll pray to uh, begin our time in the Word of God. 1 Timothy 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. These are the qualifications to being an elder, shepherd, overseer in a local church. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your word this morning about a list that is very foreboding and is, quite frankly, it's intimidating, Lord, I pray that we would not shrink back from what is your holy word and your standard for spiritual leadership. I pray that as not only those who aspire for leadership in this local church or other local churches, um, not only for those as they look at this text and examine their own lives, but I pray for all men and all women as we have capacities and responsibilities of leadership within your body. Lord, that we would examine all our hearts, all of us together, and that, Lord, we would truly say, Lord, who is worthy? I, I am undone. Who can stand before your holy word and lead? And yet, God, I pray that you would give us all a flood of grace, remembering the cross work of Jesus Christ and remembering that we serve you by the strength and power and cleanse status that you provide. So, God, I pray this morning you would empower me to preach and I pray that you would empower the congregation here to listen and not just listen in terms of head knowledge, but, Lord, let us all listen to your word as you impress it upon our hearts by your Holy Spirit and change our lives and make us more like Christ, transforming us into his image from one level of glory to the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are looking at a very, very formidable text, an intimidating text in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. I confess that as I was pursuing the path of ministry and began to be prompted by, I think, the Holy Spirit to go that direction in college, I began to do some heavy breathing as I looked at a passage like this one. And I, it, the standard overwhelmed me, and it is supposed to be an overwhelming standard. But don't, let me caution you, don't let the overwhelming nature of these qualifications cause you to shrink back from it thinking, well, it doesn't apply to me. Because these standards are standards for all in the body of Christ who are all responsible for leadership. And frankly, as a believer, you're all called to spiritually lead. And you are leading. As one person put it, you're leading. You're either leading well or you're leading very poorly, but you're leading. Even a father who, who leaves the home and abandons his family, his absence in that home at the supper table is leadership. And by contrast, when you show up, when you live the life in front of people, your children or your family or your coworkers, you're leading and hopefully you're leading well. We all should want to lead well. 2 Timothy 2.2 calls the man of God to pass the word of God on down to other faithful learners so that they will in turn do, do the same and, and the word of God gets out through leadership in that way. Matthew 28.18-20, it's the Great Commission. We're all called to teach all that Jesus commanded to people. You're a leader. Titus 2, older women are responsible to teach younger women. 
So whether or not you're aspiring to eldership or the pastorate or some form of spiritual leadership, uh, this applies in, in a wide-spreading way to all of us individually on a heart level. This is good to think through, spiritual leadership. You know, Christ promised Peter and the church to build the church, that he would do it. And the way that he builds the church through the ages, through all the times and peoples of all the centuries for the last 2,000 years is through local churches. And we are one of those. And we want to be a local church that is crafted, created, and built according to the blueprint found in Scripture. And specifically, these letters, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, are the blueprint for What's going on in Christ's building project? How, how is Christ going to build it? How do you know it's a church? Well, you follow this pattern. This is the blueprint. And it's spread before us to watch Christ build his church. And watch this. To also participate in this building project. Christ building program. He invites us to participate in this project. In this local church assembly, you are called as participants to help build, to pick up a spiritual hammer and to pick up, you know, the saw and and nails and to go to work. We all have chores in the household of God and we're all to participate. And so one strategic area that you are called to participate in this building project is spiritual Leadership, being a spiritual leader, either being an officer in the church, uh, perhaps a deacon or deaconess. We're going to talk about elders and deacons and deaconesses at the close of the service in a Anchorage Grace Church capacity. But there are many of you who are stepping forward to either be examined for eldership or to be a deacon or deaconess. And we love that. But let me just also include everybody else. If it's not time yet for you to be an elder or a deacon or a deaconess. You're still called to be a leader. You're called to be a spiritual leader, and you're called to seek to grow in these particular qualifications. You grow in them, and the Lord does that work behind the scenes in our hearts and in our lives, and suddenly you find yourself more and more qualified by the grace of God, not by your own efforts, to lead and to have a powerful participatory impact in the life of the church. There's no greater institution than the church. I know that there's a lot of things that have a lot of gloss and dress to them in the world that are very compelling, but somehow early in my Christian life, I got caught up in the idea that Christ is building his church, and there's nothing more exciting than being part of that. And so hopefully some of that can splash off onto you as we pursue a very intimidating text. It's a high bar, one that I've wrestled with for years, but as high as it is, you find yourself being swept up and compelled towards taking steps towards spiritual leadership. You kind of watch yourself like a fly on the wall. You go, I could never lead in the church. I could never do that. I could never lead a Bible study. I could never lead a community group. Hey, what are they talking about? And then suddenly you're doing it. Suddenly you're going, yeah, no way I'll do it. Yes, I'll, I'll take that responsibility. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm there. Yes, I'll do it. That's the way the Spirit draws people through texts like these. Specifically, we're going to look at verse 1 this morning. We're going to examine the qualifications list next week, uh, both elder, deacon, and deaconess, because it's 1 Timothy 3, but it's also Titus chapter 1. We'll look at that in detail next week. We'll look at some of those this morning, but specifically look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The words beginning in that verse that this is a trustworthy statement cause what Paul is saying to be very waiting, weighty. There's a solemnity to the text before us. There's something heavy going on in, in Paul's direction in what he's opening up because there is gravitas when you start to talk about spiritual Leadership, the weight and stewardship of something like that is sort of mind crushing when you think about being a steward of the souls of men and women, boys and girls for the kingdom of God. To have that kind of uh, responsibility is sort of crushing, is it not? It's sort of intimidating. 
And so he's saying it's a trustworthy statement that I'm about to say. If you look up at chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and, full and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That was, this is the levels of, of weight that Paul is talking about with these kinds of statements. Hey, Christ, his mission was to save sinners. And guess what? I was the worst one and he saved me. That's the heaviness of the introduction of trustworthy statement. And so it's the same kind of weight in verse 1 of chapter 3 that Paul is pursuing here. He's speaking um, and I want to speak sensitively to this area. If you missed last week, you might want to catch that online, but that's talking about the role of women and men in the church, but primarily about women in the church and the way that they serve in the body of Christ. Now, Paul's attention is shifting in verse 1 to men. Now, next week, we're going to talk about deacons and deaconesses and the significance of men and women serving in those capacities. But this week, we're talking about the office of the word overseer, overseer. This is an elder, a shepherd, an overseer. And specifically, he's talking to men, uh, the word anyone, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that overseer or that anyone word is a masculine uh, term. It's talking about men. Verse two, uh, Paul is saying that this man is the husband of one wife. So he's speaking in terms of male leadership. He's speaking in contrast to chapter two. He's saying, we've just spoken of the women. Now we're going to speak to the men and their role. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now, let me just make um, sort of a background spread of what is an overseer for you. Let me sort of open up this, the spread of information so you feel the significance of this particular office. Office of overseer or elder or shepherd. The word overseer is episkopos, and you have heard of the episcopal or denomination, I should say, and that's where this word is derived from. But uh, the word episkopos and then for elder is the word presbyteros, and you've heard of the denomination Presbyterian. But again, that's taken from this word, and then this word elder, and then shepherd, which is poimain, which is the word for pastor. And each of these three terms are used interchangeably in scripture to talk about one man and one office. They didn't differentiate between an elder or an Episcopalian minister or a pastor. They didn't make those differentiations in terms of first century Christianity. It wasn't until like the third century that those differentiations were made in terms terms of denominations and, and different things. But if you turn over to Titus chapter 1, I can show this real quickly from there. Verse 5 is where Titus is commissioned for the island of Crete to appoint elders. You see this? This is why I left you in Crete, verse 5, chapter 1, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And I'm not going to read through the list of qualifications, but if you just scan down verses 6, uh, you, you see that you're to be above reproach, the husband of one wife. These are the same categorical qualifications as 1 Timothy 3. So it's talking about the same office. And then verse 7, he uses overseer as a synonym. You know, verse 5, appoint elders. And then he's saying, verse 7, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So we're talking about the same office. If you turn over one more, a few more pages to 1 Peter chapter 5, you see this again. So I invite you to turn there. This is a very significant text in terms of what is an elder? What is an overseer? What is a pastor? Peter says this, I exhort, so I exhort the elders among you. Notice here, it's a plurality of leaders in a church. As a fellow elder, Peter, who's his chief spokesperson for Christ, is very humble, saying, hey, I'm just one of the guys. I'm a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Look at this, verse 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Stop there. The word shepherd, that's the word pastor. That, that sort, sort of pastor, shepherd, shepherd, and flock and sheep metaphor is all found in that word poimain. Shepherd the flock or pastor the flock of God that is among you. Exercising, now here's this word oversight. 
That's where we get the word overseer. It's used as a participle here. So shepherd, pastor, as elders, uh, shepherd and oversee the flock of God. That's where you see the, the exchange of terms in that. I just kind of wanted to throw that out to you so you get a feel for this office and the significance of it. Turn one more place back to Acts 20. Acts chapter 20. Just one more place to show this interchange of terminology. I know this is a bit of a Bible study this morning, okay? Just give me some privilege and some room to take us through some homework and, and get a preamble um, going before we hit verse 1 in detail. Chapter 20, uh, Paul, he's just raised Eutychus from the dead, and he's, he's now exhorting the elders at Miletus. These are the Ephesian elders, which incidentally are also the same elders that would have been part of Timothy's charge as he was shepherding the church at Ephesus later on. So this is prophetic to what Timothy would be dealing with later on in his church ministry, what we're studying in 1 Timothy. But Paul, before that time, he's completed his third missionary journey and he gathers the elders, verse 17, in Miletus to exhort them. Do you see that? Uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. It's a plurality here of elders to come to him. And he talks about living with them, exhorting them with tears. He told them the whole word of God day and night. And then uh, verse 26, he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is that overseer word from 1 Timothy 3.1. To care for the church of God. The word care is poimen. To pastor for the church of God. To pastor the church of God. So let me say it this way, practically speaking. Uh, you have these terms in local church ministry where you have a lay elder and you have a paid pastor and you have an associate pastor, you have a senior pastor, you have, you know, all these different differentiations. Guess what? It's the same person. Uh, you have some elders who are set apart for the ministry of the word of God. And we're going to look at that in 1 Timothy. But all elders, all of these men are really functioning um, on the same wavelength in the same capacities. You have some that are bivocational. They're tent makers like Paul was who worked a job to free up the Thessalonians. And, and yet he said, look, I could make my living by the gospel at the same time, but he didn't choose to do that. That was 1 Corinthians 9. And, and then you have people who are set apart for gospel ministry and service and are paid to do that, set apart, having the privilege to rule and to lead with the word of God. And so that's what we're talking about. We'll come back um, to some of these passages as we go, but back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And let me give you some outline points. Uh, some maybe have already flashed up on the screen and you have it in your bulletin, but let me just take us uh, methodically through. We're taking steps towards spiritual leadership. This is for all of us to go in this direction. And then the first is experiencing the weight of spiritual leadership. I want you to feel the weight of this. This, this office, and not that all of you are going to be elders or overseers or even uh, pastors set apart for that work, but we need to feel the significance of stepping into a role where you are a steward or a shepherd of another person's soul or a community group or a Bible study or even a children's ministry class. I mean, these are very important um, ideas to embrace so, experiencing the weight of spiritual leadership, one way to feel the weight of this is to see the, the history of spiritual leadership. And I want to take us again um, through the Bible in a little bit of a Bible study fashion. And I would invite you to turn back with me to Exodus 18. It's just an interesting story. It's to show you the origin of eldership. I believe that this is the first place that you see uh, eldership, where it's happening. Remember Moses? And, and he had led the children of Israel out through the Exodus, and they were headed to Mount Sinai. This is before they began to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And right before 
Moses was to receive the Ten Commandments, we find him in Exodus 18 overwhelmed. He's freaking out. And he's married Zipporah, the Midianite. And father-in-law Jethro, I think, is catching on to the faith of Moses and is honoring him and is trying to help him out, trying to come alongside him as a father-in-law. I don't know if you've ever had the awkward father-in-law conversation where they come and try to sidle up to you and give you advice. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Well, Jethro came to Moses, and it's funny. I mean, we're not going to go through this, but, you know, he's, he's coming in the name of the Lord. He's honoring Moses. He's really trying to, but he's trying to say, hey, look, son, <laughs> you need to get some help. You need to learn to delegate. And, and so he's talking about the fact that Moses is going to wear himself out. Verse 18 of chapter 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy, heavy for you. You're, you're standing, verse 14, morning till evening giving leadership, but you are not to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them. So he goes on and then verse 21. Moreover, here it is. Look for able men all from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. In other words, the, the kingdom work of God is a, a plurality of leadership. And it's one where you rightly delegate responsibilities. And even in the common grace secular work, you know that delegating work well is a way to multiply um, efforts and multiply um, output and multiply even wealth in your business through trusted delegation. And you know that the key to good delegation is finding people who are qualified. And this is a list of qualifications, even in the Old Testament, very similar to 1 Timothy 3. Verse 7 speaks of the elders that were called right at the foot of Mount Sinai as the people of God were. Chapter 19, verse 7, it's the very next chapter. The people of God are standing there and Moses is, is leaning on elder leadership at that moment saying, look, you need to commit yourself to the law of God. Numbers chapter 11 is another um, window into this. This is later on in the wanderings of the wilderness. Um, Moses, again, is at the end of himself, verse 15, chapter 11. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. That's where Moses is. What's his deliverance? Verse 16 of chapter 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. Look at this. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they will, they shall bear the burden of the people with you that so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Spiritual leadership is always to be born in a community of leaders. And again, I, we have a plurality of eldership and there have been some who've stepped forward recently to be considered for eldership and I'm excited about that. We need a, a, a wider berth of, of weight-bearing shoulders to bear the weight of Anchorage Grace Church. That's so we can grow. That's so we can, uh, we can become more excellent in the body, body of Christ and lead more people to Christ. And so the Lord is doing that work, I think, in the same way that he was working back here with Moses. So elder, elder in the Old Testament, zakan in the Hebrew means bearded, it means older, older men. It's the same word used in Joel 2, 28 of older men will dream dreams. You know that prophecy that Peter alluded to? Older men. And oftentimes it is older men who become elders. But at the same time, you have to balance that in the New Testament where Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't let those people look down on your youthfulness, but be an example. And so leadership is not just age maturity, it's more vitally spiritual maturity. A person who can handle the word of God. A person who can apply the word of God to their lives. And a person who can live the word of God and teach the word of God. That's, that's an elder. That's an overseer. 
that's a person who's a pastor. Incidentally, the word overseer, and I did a lot of Bible study homework this, this week, so just forgive me. I kind of studied ahead for, for, uh, for two messages. I thought it was all going to be in one, and it broke into two, so I got to give everything I got. But overseer is, uh, is a word in Greco-Roman history where when the emperor was expanding the Roman Empire and would take over a city-state, they would put an overseer over that community. And so the, the church pirated that word and brought that into the church. And so you have elder from the Old Testament history we just talked about, and then you have the word overseer. An overseer in that capacity in the Greco-Roman world was, was over a people and was under an emperor. Sound familiar? Where, you know, elders are overseeing the spiritual souls of people. Overseers are doing that, and they're under the chief shepherd. Hey, there's really only one senior pastor, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd. We're under shepherds. So in the book of Acts, I'll just say this. It was the word elder was used 20 times, and uh, 19 of those, I believe, for the church leadership. Uh, You remember in uh, the book of Acts chapter 11 verse 26, uh, that's where at the church of Antioch the believers were first called Christians. And the scene there in Acts 11, which is early in the development of the local church, you have a scene in Antioch where the elders are saying to Paul and Barnabas, hey we've heard that the church at Jerusalem needs some relief. They need some money. They're hurting, and so we want to give you the responsibility, Paul and Barnabas, to go to the church at Jerusalem and meet the elders there. That's what Acts chapter 11, verse 30 says. The elders were to receive them. In other words, eldership in plurality was live early in the development of the local church. Well, I want to pick up on the word shepherd real quick. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. This is uh, one of the gift lists in the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. And you've read this verse in verse 11 before, but I'll just read it to, to you again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and in the ESV, I like this, the shepherds and teachers. Some translations um, say pastors and teachers, and you can take a, uh, a position in the original language to see that as um, literally one gift, pastor-teacher. In other words, if you're a shepherd, you are feeding the flock. A pastor is one who leads and feeds. An elder is one who leads and feeds. You handle scripture. You're rightly dividing the word of truth. You're leading with scripture. You lead through the word of God to help people's hearts. That's what you want. That's feeding the flock of God. I was meditating on uh, what I was going to say this morning, and I, I just was sort of illuminated and prompted to think about the scene on the beach after uh, Jesus had risen from the dead and called Peter to himself. Remember, Peter had denied Christ three times, and Jesus looked into Peter's eyes and said, do you love me? Do you love me? And he wanted to restore Peter's confidence and actually commission Peter to be this church leader who had denied him just days before, and he's saying, do you love me? And, and Peter, in exasperation, is saying, Lord, you know I love you. You know that. You know all things. And Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. I mean, what an what a incredible thing for the Son of God to say, I have lambs, and your job is to feed them. I'm giving you care as my under-shepherd. I'm leaving, and you're the shepherd as my proxy who's going to feed the lambs. And then he says, do you, Jesus said, do you love me? He said, Peter said, you know I do. He said, well, tend my sheep. This is John 21. Tend my sheep. What does that mean? That means care for the souls. Go after straying sheep who are in sin. Admonish, exhort, have mercy on, pray for, love the sheep, tend my sheep. And then, do you love me? Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, I mean, Peter says, yes. And Jesus responds and says, well, feed my sheep. This is the call of spiritual leadership. And let me just, again, broaden this for you. Even if you are not presently serving as an elder or pursuing that office, you're called to love people, to shepherd people, to lead people, to care for people, to give your heart to people, 
to be transparent with people, to feed. If you're not feeding someone else, you're missing the call to make disciples. If you're not living the life, then you're, you're forgetting the cross. You're forgetting your, your blood-bought status where you can find forgiveness and begin to multiply spiritual growth from one level of glory to the next. Don't forget. Don't forget the mission. Don't, don't over-delegate it up and say, well, those pastors and elders, they got it. They got it. It's good, you know. I'm good, you know. I'll just show up. At, you can't do that. You've got to say, no, I'm a participant as a fellow spiritual leader. You're a servant. You're, you're an under-shepherd in a capacity here. You are, because we're all part of the participating work of building up the body of Christ as we build one another up in love. So we're all leading, and we're all feeding. We're either doing that well, or we're not doing it well. We're all in the boat together. Well, as I've emphasized, it's a plurality, and I won't go into the details of that. Acts 14, 23, um, Paul was called to appoint elders. Uh, Titus 1, 5, we've already referenced where Paul is telling Titus, appoint elders on Crete. Philippians 1, 1 is a letter written to um, the church and also the overseers, plural. 1 Peter 1, 1 is where Peter is writing a cyclical letter to um, various communities all around Asia Minor. But then in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that the younger men are in church supposed to submit or humble themselves under the elders. It's a plurality of leadership. And I think it comes under Proverbs eleven fourteen. There's counsel and wisdom in the multitude of counselors. There's wisdom when you multiply counsel. And I've seen it. I've got to tell you again and again, I've seen it where you have one idea. I mean, I'm applying this even at the end of the service with something we'll talk about. But one idea where I've talked it through with the individual elders and we've talked as a whole in a collective community of discussion. And then one person will say, you know, let me just put this nuance out there or there's this life experience or have you thought about this passage and it influences me and it influences all of us and we sort of you know we're going this direction we go okay we're gonna get there a little bit different way and that comes through collective wisdom and it's applied when you're humble to receive it so it's a plurality What's the chief work of an elder, shepherd, pastor, overseer? It's oversight. <laughs> it's oversight. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 15. Actually, verse 6. Not verse 6. Stop there. Verse 5. Here we go. In the qualification. Uh, we're talking about managing your own household. And then verse 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? What is an elder supposed to do? Care for the church. That's what it is. James 5.14, very, very powerful example. When someone is sick, they call for the what? Elders. Elders, come around us and pray for us. Lay hands on us. You know, when you're sick, you, you cry out for the shepherds to help. Now, you want other people to pray for you, but there is a very significant role to pray with people. I attended a funeral yesterday, and I was, I was boo-hooing at the end of the funeral. I, I was sort of proud in my heart and kind of embarrassed about that, but I kept reminding myself that the Bible says, weep with those who weep. You're supposed to bear that kind of burden. And again, why in the world would somebody ever put themselves in a position of eldership where you're called upon to care for souls? You're called upon to weep with people, pray with people, sacrifice? It's because as a shepherd, pastor, elder, if you're really called to do that, by God, you can't help yourself. You can't help yourself. You sort of look at the qualifications and you say, I know that these qualifications could drag me out of the ministry, but you just extend your wolverine claws, stick them in the ground, and you're saying, I'm going to be dragged out of the pulpit, um, and woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. That's the heart of an elder. Whether you're a paid elder or bivocational elder or, you know, set apart to do the work, you just say, I know that God has called me to do that. And Paul said that. He said, woe is me. I'm damned if I don't get to preach the gospel. That's what he's saying. He's saying the love of Christ, it constrains me. It, I'm possessed to do this work. That's an elder. That's a person who is aspiring and desiring to do something that they know that is overwhelming and intimidating, and but by God's grace they could ever do. 
It's that wild, mysterious balance of I know I can't do it in my own strength, but God's calling me to do it, so I got to do it. You know, I'm going into the battle. I don't care. I got to do it. That's the heart of an elder. And this is what um, is identified in the church. Well, first of all, that's experiencing the weight of, of spiritual leadership. Now we're back at 1 Timothy 3, 1 again. Now I'm going to take us into a little bit of detail um, through this verse. Uh, Exercising, point two, um, when you're taking steps towards spiritual leadership, you'll find yourself exercising your will towards spiritual leadership. This is what I was just talking about. It could sound very arrogant to think that you're actually willing yourself towards leadership, that you're wanting it, that you're going for it, but I find this in the word aspire. Verse one, if anyone aspires, what does that word mean? It means literally to reach out for it. That's what it means. I mean, that is the metaphor. To aspire means I'm going for it. I'm reaching out for it. I'm stretching my hand towards this. I've set the qualifications as goals to grow in by God's grace. I'm going for it. Aspiring. leadership it's making it your aim with humility you look at it it's you say it's unmeetable it's crushing qualifications and you find yourself inwardly being impelled in that direction it's when you can't when you say I can't do anything else I remember when I was thinking about becoming a pastor and talking to my roommate who was also becoming a pastor and we were talking about this awesome mission and awesome task and you're just 19 years old so you know what do you know anyway but you you know enough to know that this is an amazing thing you're you're going to sort of uh, go into um a, a ministry capacity you know you're, you're having to lay any fleshly aspiration aside and you're making yourself super vulnerable with scripture and qualifications and you're going in that and my friend said it best he said look if you can do anything else do it and I couldn't do anything else I had to go into the ministry that's how it should be when you sign up for any capacity of ministry in the church you say you know I don't have time to do this. I don't make enough money to do this. I, I need to work more. I, you know, but I'm doing it. I'm showing up. I'm signing up. I can't help myself. I've got to do the work of the ministry. Yeah, but I see this sin pattern in my life. I see this. I see that. You know, this ball and chain guilt. And I, I've got to go. I got to jump. That's the that's the heart of a of a person who's spiritually leading in the office of overseer. You're literally, you're, you're looking at, look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Uh, I love the, the first part of this verse. Paul said, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Not only do you make spiritual leadership your aim, secondly, you sense that spiritual leadership is your calling. And I find that in the word desire. You see that? He desires a noble task. In essence, Paul is saying, look, I know that the qualification list is heavy. That's why this is a trustworthy statement. We're talking about something weighty, but there are people who aspire and literally in their hearts desire the work. And guess what? It's a noble task. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's like signing up in the military while you're at war and you could die, you could get killed, but guess what? It's worth it. It's honorable. It's noble. I'm going into, you know, the war zone, but it's worth it. It's noble. And the word desire here, I have to open that up, is the word epithumia. It, it means, literally, it's used negatively most other places in Scripture. It means to lust. It means you want it desperately in your heart. This is a holy motivation, a holy desire. It's not what First, first Peter 5 uh, says that you're not supposed to do uh, as an elder, 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God. Look at this, not under compulsion, verse 2. Did you see that? 1 Peter 5, verse 2, you're not under compulsion, but instead willingly, not for shameful gain. You're not, you're not kind of manipulating to get inside the leadership so you can gain something. No, you're doing it out of a willingness that's spawned by the Lord. Look at this at the end of verse 2, but eagerly, you want it. You're not a domineering over leader. You're not, you're not a dictator. You're an under-shepherd. You're, verse 3, an example to the flock. 
And when, look at this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You're this person who says, look, I just want to serve the chief shepherd. I might receive a crown, but as soon as I get before the throne, I'm going to throw it at Jesus' feet, right? And I'm compelled to do it, not out of some sort of external compulsion, not out of people saying, you know, you should do it, and sort of this guilt trip motivation. Or as a pastor, you know, you don't want to be a mama called pastor. You know, the mama says, you should be a pastor. It'd be a great thing. No, no, the pastor that, that is in it for the long haul is inwardly desiring it because the Holy Spirit puts that desire in you. Which I gotta go back to one more place. I know we're in major Bible study mode, but verse, Acts 20, verse 28, look at this. Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is Paul addressing the, the elders at Ephesus. And to all the flock in which, look at this phrase, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who makes overseers? The Holy Spirit. You know, if somebody wants to be an elder, wants to be a pastor, wants to be an overseer, the Holy Spirit will be working in that person's life. And guess what? Whether that person is in the office yet or not, they're going to be doing the work of the ministry. You want to be an elder? Start eldering. Start leading people spiritually. Start teaching. Start training to teach. Why is it that people say, I'm going to Bible college. I'm going to seminary. I'm going to read these commentaries. I'm going to buy these books. It's that inward Holy Spirit wrought compulsion where it's inward and it's wrought by the Lord where you just want it. You just know you're supposed to be doing that. You know, I could, I could do this. I could take this vacation. I could go here. I could do this. Well, no, I'm going to sit in that room and read. I mean, that sounds kind of nerdy, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of different. But that's what shepherds do. They, they, they fill their cup up and then poke a hole in the bottom and spill it out. That's, that's what shepherds do. That's leadership. And that's not just something that happens for that office of spiritual leadership. That's what should be happening in the hearts of us all as we study the word of God so that we can reproduce it in the lives of others so we can care for people's souls. So we make spiritual leadership our aim. We sense spiritual leadership as a calling. Now, I just want to allude to a, a couple of things. There is a dynamic here where, where the church leadership as a pattern in the New Testament has always been the ones selecting the spiritual leaders and laying hands and affirming spiritual leaders. And I want to show you this from 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy because I want to also show you that the church participates. But 1 Timothy chapter 4 Verse 14 is where Paul is exhorting Timothy to be confident in his leadership. Hang on a second. Verse 14. All right, I am. I'm going to have to find it. All right, here we go. Hang on. <laughs> All right, let's go, to, let's go to 2 Timothy. You guys can find this. Uh, we'll find it in a second. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. All right, hopefully I got this one right. Verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. I was able to see the cross reference in my margin, so now we're back to 1 Timothy chapter four, verse 14. Sorry about that. Here's where Paul said to Timothy regarding leadership and being affirmed by the elders. He says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Elders are identified by elders. That is the pattern of things. The way that the church uh, did this is apostles originally were the ones identifying elders. And then those who were closest to the apostles like Timothy and Titus, they were affirmed as elders who were then to find and affirm elders. And so the eldership is, are the ones ultimately responsible to lay hands on and affirm those who become elders. Well, in our process, we, we also have a, an act of participation where the congregation is identifying elders. And I want to say that I think that you find that principle in the book of Acts chapter 6. And you could look at this when the church was identifying and appointing those who were to be servant leaders like Philip and Stephen as deacons in the early church. And actually what, what you find in precedent there is that the body of Christ was told by the apostles, identify men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, like Stephen and Philip. 
And then what they did in the book of Acts 6, you can find it later, they actually brought those names to the apostles so the apostles could then identify them and, and, and examine them and affirm them. And that's basically what our process is here. As the Holy Spirit is identifying people, men who are full of the Holy Spirit, men and women as deacon, deaconesses who are full of the Holy Spirit, these names are brought to the elders to be prayed over and examined and affirmed as church leaders. That's Acts 6. You also see this precedent of congregation participation in Acts chapters 14 and 15, specifically in the Jerusalem council. Remember Paul and Silas, they'd gone through a lot with Gentile churches and these Gentiles were, were getting saved all over the place and they were offending Jews because they were eating things that were, you know, according to Old Covenant, Old Testament law, ceremonially unclean. Well, they actually the Gentile churches bowed to the preferences of the Jews and said, okay, we will submit to not, you know, eating certain meats and certain things for the sake of unity and peace in the body. But ultimately, as that decision came forward, as Paul and, and Silas and others were, were saying, look, we want to protect the gospel in this because you're saved by grace alone, not by eating certain things or not by eating certain things. As that whole thing was being led and overseen and adjudicated, there are phrases in Acts 15 where when those things were presented, it seemed good to the people. Do you remember that phrase in Acts 15? And, you know, then it seemed good to the people. So there is sort of a, a participatory dynamic in the leadership and direction of the church, which I think our church constitution reflects. Okay, so we've, we've seen in terms of spiritual leadership, taking steps, you experience the weight of spiritual leadership. Secondly, you exercise your will towards spiritual leadership. And then thirdly, you embrace the work of spiritual leadership, the work of spiritual leadership. These are the qualifications of verses one through seven, what we're gonna hit on next week, the qualifications, this list. You can just look through them in chapter three. I mean, it, you gotta be above reproach. The husband and one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You gotta manage your own household with children who are submissive. You have to, you can't be a recent convert can't be arrogant or proud. This is a very foreboding list, but let me just point something out. First and foremost, to embrace the work of spiritual leadership is first and foremost, a work of the heart. What do I mean by that? I mean, you're embracing the, encounter, the accountability of scripture and you're holding it up like a mirror looking at your own heart. You want to work towards being a spiritual leader, one who's qualified? You got to go through an examination process with scripture. The work of spiritual leadership starts with your character. Do you see that? Even the secular world gets this. Um, in the book, Good to Great, written by Collins, uh, that book talks about how character and humility is what puts a person at level five in his paradigm for leadership that's effective. It's a humble, transparent, open leader. That's leadership. And it comes through characterological examination and being willing to go through that at a gut level before a holy God with these qualifications. What we're going to look at next week starts with character. Secondly, there is a function. And we've already talked about this, but in terms of characters, in terms of character, you're a spiritual leader, and you're also a spiritual leader in terms of your gifting. Um, this is the phrase in 1 Timothy 3 at the end of verse 2, able to teach. Uh, some translations say apt to teach, but I think that undersells this calling. If you're a shepherd, elder, overseer, you know, three titles, one office, if you're that person, you're a teacher. You are. You're not just, you know, I teach every now and then and I could pull it off. That's not it. You, are, you have the gift of teaching if you're that kind of leader. You're not just able to pull it off. You're a capable handler of God's word. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily the preacher every week, but you are someone who is compelled to study and to make clear truth for people in counseling settings and also in formal settings. You're giving the word of God because you're a flock feeder. 
deacons and deaconesses, we'll see next week, they have all the characterological qualifications that 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says for elders. All those character qualities transfer over to you deacons and deaconesses, except one, and that's the gift of teaching. So as an elder, you have to have the gift of teaching. You are, as Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, a pastor teacher. Some of you, I think, are perhaps where Timothy was with some timidity. You're called to teach. You know that you can teach. You could teach children. You could teach Bible studies. You could teach one-on-one. You could counsel, and you just don't do it. But God could be prompting your heart this morning to say, teach, to study, to teach, to give the word of God, to spread it out to people as a feeder. This is the gift of 1 Corinthians 12, 28, gifted to teach. Those who are worthy of double honor, 1 Timothy 5, 17, are those who are set apart to preach and labor in preaching and teaching. Well, have you felt the weight of this office? I hope so. I have this week. It's a weighty office. It's a weighty calling. But listen, it applies to all of us. My call is for you who are praying about being an elder to open yourself up in vulnerability. If you think the Lord is moving you in that direction, let the elders know. Talk about it. Bring it up. Let's move forward as a church as the Lord continues to multiply leadership. And then on different levels in terms of participation and leadership, open yourself up to lead in other ways. Women, lead women, lead children. Uh, get in cooperative uh, situations where you can co-counsel as men and women like Aquila and Priscilla. Do the work of the ministry. There are tons of areas for you to do the work of the ministry, spreading the word of God to people, making disciples. Open yourselves up, church, to what the Lord is doing as he raises the bar, but at the same time turns the heat up internally to move forward in ministry at Anchorage Grace Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for this word. It was an um, intimidating text to go into, but God, I thank you that you are impressing that text on our hearts as we examine our own lives and we dignify the calling, the, the impelling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do more for Christ. And Lord, I pray that we can all participate. What an exciting endeavor it is to be part of your kingdom work and to fight the good fight of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.